0: It's Wednesday, March eleventh. Welcome to Mark Fuller. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool Options and Motley Fool Special Ops. And from the great White North, Mr. Jim Gillies. Greetings. Good to see you as always, my friend. Thank you. How are the people at Border Patrol?
1: Uh, surprisingly lax. How,
0: once again, they just let you just I, let I was, you in. I was
1: wearing a Fool Cap as I came across yesterday and that's what the uh, Border Control agent wanted to talk about and then he started wanting to talk about stock picks. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a very easy crossing.
0: So you were technically you were detained, but it was <laughs> he liked
1: my hat because
0: he wanted some stock picks. Um, we're going to talk lumber liquidators. We're going to talk company management in the wake of Google CFO stepping down, and we will dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with fashion retailer Vera Bradley. Stock hitting an all-time low today. Fourth quarter profit and revenue came in lower than expected. Same-store sales for the quarter, and this is the holiday quarter, I hasten to point out, Bill Barker, down 20%. I mean, is there any silver lining to what appears to be a horribly black cloud?
2: Uh, well, the stock's cheaper. If you didn't <laughs> already own it, you know, yeah, that that would, and, and you've always wanted to own it. That's the only one I can think of. I, uh, uh, no, it was not a good quarter, and uh, you know, for a retailer to not have a good quarter in the fourth quarter is a particularly bad time to. Miss uh, on the fashion execution, uh, and uh, investors have taken it out behind the woodshed today and are, um, you know, treating it as as less valuable today than ever before, as you point out.
0: And it's, I mean, it's got to be that bad because they also announced they're closing a manufacturing plant in the U.S. uh, so that they can manufacture overseas. So, presumably, their manufacturing costs in the long term are going to be lower, but that's not enough. They to don't have that, as
2: do. much to manufacture. So, um <laughs> apparently because they, they, I I think that their fashion and this is I mean retailing is a tough business and investing in retailers is a tough mm-hmm. uh, thing to pull off on a consistent basis. Uh, you know uh, Urban Outfitters was was up yesterday uh, 11% in a very tough day from the market uh because it got a quarter Right you know and, and we have owned it uh, on and off uh, in the funds and have watched it go up or down 10, 12, you know 15% the day after reporting earnings because it is very difficult to project. Uh, retailer, uh, you know, results, and uh, Vera Bradley is is not, uh, you know, not had a good quarter, uh, not saying the things that are making people more confident in it today. Uh, closing plants, as you say, uh, that'll help with margins uh, later on, but not today. When you look for special situations
0: to invest in, does retail ever enter into? the equation at all? Or do you just say, you know what, there are special ops that I'm going to look for, but this industry is not one of them. I like how I'm going
1: back to the special side now. Um, Yes, it can. But the longer I've been doing this, the more I am shying away from retail because, as Bill said, it's such a difficult business and no one, with the exception of Costco, I think perennially gets it right. And and Costco, of course, has a, a valuation issue. They're not really a retailer. Oh, I mean, true. a retail, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, fashion retailer. Yeah, well, well, fashion retail is, uh, you know, I've, I've. Uh, there's a lot of fashion retailers that will periodically look cheap. And then they'll throw a quarter out like Vera Bradley just did. And you'll go, oh, that's why they look that, cheap. <laughs> that's why they're yeah. cheap. Yeah. So, uh, but from a, I can tell you right now, I actually am looking for special ops. I'm not going to mention the name, but we are looking at a, a company right now that would technically be a, a retailer, but there's some special options uh, in embedded in it. So,
0: speaking of stocks going down, lumber liquidators, which has basically been cut in half over the last week or so, probably the last two weeks, uh, but the stock up 14% this morning and on some very heavy trading volume. This is on the news that Robert Chapman, an activist investor and the CEO of Chapman Capital, uh, told CNBC that he has taken a long position on lumber liquidators. Hmm. He thinks Whitney Tilson's thesis is wrong. Um, so, here is someone who ostensibly has called the bottom for lumber liquidators. Uh, is I don't know, when you look at this stock, this is another one that I suppose qualifies for- Fortune
1: favors the bold, right?
0: I, I, are you interested? In a stock that a year ago was trading at 107 and is today in the low 30s?
1: I am concerned that the it is going to be very difficult to quantify the damage done by the 60 minutes in, in the minds of the public. How many people are no longer going to want to go there because they're concerned they're going to be getting carcinogenic off-gassing from their- hardwood flooring products. How many people might want to join uh, lawsuits potentially, you know, saying rip this floor out of my house and give me something new and safe, even though they probably are safe because the off gassing is going to be largely done within a few days of installation. There's so much negative perception here. I own a tiny little bit of lumber liquidators myself purchased at a higher price. I've not been adding. I'm concerned that their future, Profitability is going to be somewhat less than their past profitability, particularly because they may have been purchasing very cheap product from China. They'll no longer be allowed to purchase because of the obvious. And so, for me, so far, I've been I've been following the story, but for me, so far, it's been in the too hard pile to add.
0: Yeah, Bill, it it, it does seem like lumber liquidators. It's not that well. This they're in danger of going out of business uh, anytime soon, but it does seem like the the path to respectability and profitability is gonna be a long one. This seems like and we always say look to buy companies and hold them for the long haul. This really seems like a stock that if you're gonna if you're gonna buy this and hold this and because you believe that this can be turned around uh, from a business standpoint and from a reputation standpoint, then you're looking at decades, I think.
2: Yeah, long, long and convoluted. Well, decades, no. Americans don't have that kind of memory. <laughs> um, I mean, not to joke too much about it, be too cynical, but I, decades, yeah. I mean, scandals just don't last quite that long, right? I mean, either they get by this within a year or two. It, it, it may be a decade from now, you say, well, isn't that the company that had that formaldehyde thing? Uh, yeah, the, the, here are the. Many here are some of the many problems. One, uh, their response to the sixty minutes piece and, and others is to, uh, in part, blame the short sellers, and, and that is on their website. You know, you've got people going in. You have been doing some channel checks and asking, uh, the people on the floor about about the problem, and you know the floor. Uh, managers or whatever seem to be instructed to blame this on short sellers, which is not the kind of dynamic that you want to have going on while you're trying to sell something, is to be talking about something with outside the circle of competence probably of the salesman. Uh, additionally, you know, the, the attractive financials of this company were based largely on the margins, the, the superior margins that they were able to achieve selling an otherwise commodity product and one has to wonder now whether those margins were achievable only by skimping on the product, whether uh, the sourcing in China uh, and from the Chinese providers was flawed from the start, and they were getting uh, you know, subpar merchandise either in terms of quality or in terms of legality. Uh, so, you know, how do you go about modeling uh, the future right now in light of, as Jim points out, uh, customer concerns, which are, I'm sure are driving some people away from purchasing there. And are they going to have to address this with ultimately completely different suppliers, which are going to provide completely different margins? You know, you, you can do s- your scenario analyses on a number of these things, but there are enough scenarios where I wouldn't want to have to spend the time doing it. And this isn't their first uh,
1: run in with kind of popular opinion or what have you, they had an issue with uh, Russian sourced wood, I believe uh, about a year and a half ago that, so there's always already been kind of two strikes in the, where are you getting your commoditized product? It's kind of like, eh, I, I, and this is the first I've heard of this activist and I'll be going and looking back and see what he's saying. But, uh, again, maybe the too hard pile for this one.
0: Let's move on to Google. CFO Patrick uh, Pichette is retiring. He's been the CFO for seven years, uh, 52 years old. And this is not a sudden thing. Um, He is uh, reportedly staying on until a replacement is found. So at at some point in the next six months, Um, and certainly, you know, I guess go to google.com slash jobs if you're (laughs) looking to be the next CFO of, of Google. But. But it caught my attention, Jim. We were talking about this a little earlier today. Anytime I see a headline involving a CEO or a CFO leaving a company, I'm instantly curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I just wanted to get your take and Bill's take how you view management leaving. Like, do, does that set off any kind of sensor for you as well? Um, because uh, we talk about the importance of management, and in, in, in the case of Google, here's a guy who's 52 years old, mm-hmm. appears to be financially set uh, for the rest of his life. And I think s- that might
1: be the, the kicker right there. Uh, Google is not his first landing page. Uh, he has, he was previously at Bell Canada, I believe for a while he's had a 30 odd year career, a frenetic career, he calls it. And he says he's quitting the company in a quote, perfectly fine midlife crisis full of bliss and beauty, end quote. (laughs) Um, you know, this sounds like a guy who's basically going out on top. That doesn't scare me too much, as as opposed to seeing another, uh, you know, what is the circumstance for other CFOs leaving? If it's a company that's been perennially underperforming, that has perennially, you know, maybe had a few accounting or other issues, that would worry me a bit more. Uh, this literally looks like this guy is—he's going out on top.
0: Bill, is there a- any other position other than CEO or CFO that gets you interested when you see someone leaving? Because for me, it—that's it, the list.
2: Uh, well, those are the top two, of course. In some companies, the COO is going to be pretty important. I, I think that the fa- the head of fashion, um, you know, for many of the fashion retailers, uh, could be a very, uh, a, a far more important uh, position than the CFO um, uh, in, in some companies. But for the most part, uh, the CFO is often a warning, warning flag, as as you mentioned. Not in a case where you've got a very financially secure. Company and uh, somebody who's probably got better things to do with their life than st- stick around in, in a job uh, when they can do anything, you know, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, could come back and work, you know, if a couple of years off, the midlife crisis is gone, come back and work somewhere else in California. I'm sure with his resume, I'll have no, no problems.
0: Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got an email from Dr. Rick Zabrodsky in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, who's also a member of our stock advisor and rule breakers services um, and I shared the email with both of you guys I mean this is this is someone who's um, been investing for nearly 30 years and basically wrote about um, staying away from bonds about how uh, he's done quite well with uh, CN rail which is a company I know you're familiar with Jim um, and just a company that has paid a steady dividend and how that has worked out for him. Um, But he closed his email by saying, please make a rational case as to why I should now be buying bonds in my old age, as I still have none. I will then, of course, cancel my Motley Fool subscriptions. And he signed it, sleeping soundly, collecting (laughs) dividends in Calgary, Alberta. Um, It's hard for me to make the case for anyone buying bonds. And it's been that way for a few years, just Mm -hmm. when you look at the performance of bonds over the last few years, and the, just how steady some of these large dividend-paying dividend, dividend paying stocks have been.
1: And I hope you're not looking to me to make a rational case for owning <laughs> bonds at the present time. Um, first of all, Dr. Rick, I'll see you in, in next month when I'm out in Calgary. Uh, it's a great town. What are you doing out in Calgary? Going out skiing. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, but we. Um, I can't imagine, if he has owned CN Rail, which is, you know, one half of the rail duopoly in Canada. And they're not going to build any more, right? Like it's CN and CP.
0: There are no startup railroads? No,
1: no. This is, so we're talking about, you know, an incredibly entrenched duopoly. I believe their dividend has been steadily rising over the years. If he's owned it for 30 years, his cost basis is probably very attractive. I don't know if he's tax sheltered or not. And I believe their dividend is somewhere in the three to four percent range right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why would I change that for buying, you know, ten-year bonds to two and change percent? Like, uh, and and moreover, um, if we ever do get those long-rumored interest rate rises, and of course Canada just actually dropped their interest rates about a month and a half ago. Um, bond prices are not going to, it's not going to do bond prices any favors if, they say, the 10-year bond goes to 5 or 6%. So, you're going to have to hold any bonds you buy today, almost to maturity, just to get back
2: your money. No. You wanna, I'm not going to make the case. Do you want to <laughs> take the other side of this? I, uh, well, I mean, the reasons to own bonds, first of all, uh, so- Bill's over, closer to retirement than well, Over I am, the last so. 15 years, <laughs> bonds have outperformed stocks. Now, what was 15 years ago? That was the peak of the market, Right. And interest rates were higher then, mm-hmm. so it, it is it is not surprising um, when you're when you're at a market peak that bonds, even with relatively little return, might outperform stocks. Right? It's not that shocking that over the last fifteen years, bonds have outperformed stocks, even though we're at a, a high, an all time high, basically right now for stocks. So the reason to own bonds is. Uh, to get a, a, a diversification of financial instrument that will not always move the same way as, as stocks do. Uh, and if you own bonds, an actual bond, uh, rather than sort of a, a bond fund or something like that, you get defined payments. They're not very big. You know, if you're in the sort Not of anymore. intermediate term, yeah. you might you might be able to get three percent. You know, returns on on uh, maturities of seven, eight years, something like that, uh, and that might be uh, that might be even with interest rates moving. If you're actually collecting the coupon and you have a bond and you get your return of principal at the end of the seven or eight years, three percent that might be a lot better than you do with stocks. I don't know. We're in the business of trying to find both Jim and I stocks which will have positive performance and better than market beating you know market beating performance. But the next seven years could easily be negative for stocks. Uh, don't fool yourself. There are I'm many true. seven year periods or, or longer periods hmm. where you know not you know get out to 10, 15 years, there aren't that many periods where stocks actually have neg- negative returns. but over the next seven years, if you say stocks will return zero or negative, I I wouldn't bet all of my money against that. It was an
0: episode in late September of 2014 uh, when you, Bill Barker, raised the prospect of flying bears.
2: Yes. Why did I raise that prospect? uh, You and Charlie coolness of them. What? (laughs) You
0: (laughs) and Charlie Travers and I were talking about the FAA coming out with regulations regarding flying drones, and. We talked about movie studios being interested in this, and Charlie brought up uh, uh, someone in, I think, Montana who. If, if you need a bear for your movie, there's apparently one guy or Charlie claimed there was one guy who's like,'m he's the bear guy so if you're a movie studio you need a bear. Have you, you had
2: him on the, the radio show?
0: Uh, no, but I, why? Well first I need to <laughs> verify that Charlie wasn't making it up.
2: So, so he, maybe, he was rather drunk at the time, as I recall
0: <laughs> um, And then we talked about f- flying drones versus bears and you said, well, you know the drone can stay away from the bear unless it's a flying bear. So,
1: which brings us to- I feel I'm through the looking glass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us to an early leader in the best headline of 2015, which involves not flying bears, but giant bears. And you called this uh, story to my attention, Bill. This is from a very reputable publication, Scientific American. The headline is, Volcanic Activity, Not Giant Bears, Created Enigmatic Devil's Tower. Let me read that again. (laughs) Volcanic activity, not giant bears, created enigmatic Devil's Tower. Not everybody
2: knows what Devil's Tower is. Devil's
0: Tower is uh, uh, Let me just read you the first three lines of the story. Devil's Tower in Wyoming is such an extraordinary sight that its creation myth almost seems possible. Giant bears are said to have scratched its surface attempting to climb to the top, but the vertical lines adorning the sides of the almost 390-meter-tall rock are not claw marks, they're actually the edges of roughly hexagonal columns of igneous rock. Uh, and it just sort of goes on from there. Um, did you know that that was the myth? I mean, I've known about look- Devil's Tower ever since uh, the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but at no point in my lifetime did I ever hear this myth that, oh yeah, giant bears caused the the outside of it.
2: Like most right-thinking Americans, I Assumed that was the only logical explanation. Of <laughs> giant bears. F- giant bears. I mean, yeah, thanks, Scientific American, for ruining it for all of us yet again.
1: How giant are these giant bears? Are we talking twenty feet tall, thirty feet tall, fifty?
2: Canada, you don't have things like this. Devil's Towers, do you? Giant. No, we just have the Rocky Mountain in, in the middle of you know the desert. That's a good point. So it's hard to explain but to a, a Canadian lot of, just we don't how have a lot of big and impressive this is.
0: It raises a good question: if if you were told, "Oh yeah, we've we've discovered giant bears," without knowing how tall they are, how tall would you imagine a giant bear to be? Gi-
2: it's got to be at least
0: twenty-five feet to be giant. Yeah, I was going to say twenty-five, thirty feet. Yeah, you go with that.
1: Sure. Uh, have you ever seen a grizzly bear stand up?
2: Uh, not in person. Uh, well- <laughs> <laughs> Again, we don't running. live in Canada, so <laughs> there, uh, there aren't bears walking around the streets of U.S. towns like in Canada, like in Guelph, right? <laughs> not a lot in Guelph. There's a few I up mean, in Churchill, Manitoba, but
1: those would be polar bears, though, also fairly tall. So no, we
2: haven't seen. You have, right? Because they're, they're not there. where I am. We're, we're, not
1: where I am. Any chance you're going to see bears when you go out to Calgary? Uh, slim chance. There are bears in Banff National Park, but they don't tend to ski the same runs I do. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com,
0: where we want to know about close encounters with large wild animals.
2: Question for you, for you two guys, because okay. you can speak on behalf of Maine, Chris, yes. and Canada. Uh, Jim, I, I may be going this, this summer. Um, to Canada or to Maine? To one or the other or both. <laughs> where's the better whale watching? Putting yep. you on the spot here. Maine. I'd probably go Maine as well.
0: Really? Yeah, because because Maine unless is right, you're
2: going to Newfoundland, which,
0: Maine is right on the coast, and a lot of Canada is right yeah. in the middle. If you come to my it,
2: town, there are no whales in Guelph, but there is uh, apparently some pretty good whale watching on on the east coast, and you can get, um, uh, I think, on, on the uh, in the bay there, uh, not far, which not bay? too far from Quebec, Bay of Fundy. Uh, I don't know. You're the guy who lives there. We're... Radio at Fool.com if you have whale watching recommendations or more
0: importantly, close encounters with large with wild animals. Bears. Bill Barker, Jim Gillies, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's gonna do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.